So as we continue in chapter 5 this morning, uh, David started there last week. We're going to continue. We'll see two things. My intention is that we see them clearly, and by God's grace we will. Uh, that Christ, We will see Christ's description and explanation of his equality with God, equality with the Father. And then second, we'll see the practical and eternal impact of that equality. So we'll see that Christ, the Son, is equal to God the Father. But then we'll also see the impact, practically and eternally, of what that equality means. So I'll pick up John chapter 5, uh, verse 18. I'll back up a verse here uh, from where Dave closed with us last week. And I will read through uh, verse 30. So John chapter 5, starting in verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show to him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the Son gives life to those whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whomever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not my own, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So this section that we just read through on John chapter 5, starting in verse 18, but through verse 30, is Christ's response to the Pharisees' rejection of his demonstration of power, the healing on the Sabbath, and his authority claiming equality with God that David led us through last week in verses 1 through 18. So when Christ was at the pool of Bethesda and, and approached that man and said, do you desire to be healed? And the man said, yes but I can't go through the standard process that we're all expecting here at the pool because somebody beats me to the water um, at that time, and I can't get there. So Christ heals him, tells him to take, you know, rise, take up his bed, and continue. So the Pharisees have a problem with that, not because the man was healed, but because he was carrying his bed on the Sabbath. So they have a problem with the man carrying his bed, but then they also have a problem with Christ healing on the Sabbath. So rather than looking at the miracle of the healing and giving praise to God for that 
and rejoicing with this man that was healed after 38 years, I believe it was, of being lame or unable to walk or unable to walk correctly, the Pharisees, rather than rejoicing in that, are wrapped around the axle of Christ and this man dishonoring the Sabbath. So this section that we'll look through today is Christ's response to the Pharisees' rejection of his demonstration of power and his authority. The core concept in this section is verses 23 and 24, where we see the relationship between Christ and the Father, where Christ says, basically, if you honor one, you honor the other. If you dishonor one, you dishonor the other. Heightening what the Pharisees were already understanding and seeing that, wait a minute, this man, Jesus Christ, is claiming to be equal with God. And we're in the process of dishonoring him for that. David led us here last week and to set the stage of this transition of Christ's explanation of his power and his authority from Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I'll read verses 12 to 15 where we read, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And hear this, verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Christ is going to point out the explanation of the Sabbath, the reason for the Sabbath. We see it here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. The reason the Jews were to honor the Sabbath was as a remembrance kind of of two things, culminating in one really, but remembrance of their time as slaves in Egypt when they had no choice to stop working if they didn't want to. They had no PTO. They had no paid vacation or holidays when they were enslaved in Egypt. But the Sabbath is a remembrance of God's deliverance from that. It's a picture of redemption. When God miraculously freed Israel from Egypt. Now he incorporates the Sabbath. We read that explanation, Deuteronomy 5. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, based on that, for that reason, God commanded you to keep, to observe the Sabbath, as a memorial of that. The purpose of the Sabbath for the Jews, and we see that, we learn that here, the purpose of the Sabbath is to remember the redemptive power of God. Christ demonstrates that. He demonstrates His power by healing the man as a picture, as a forerunner of them understanding His redemptive power. And He alludes to that. He says now to the man, now go and don't sin so that worse things don't happen to you. Not referring to the lameness, but referring to an ultimate penalty of death. We can see similar, I'll use the word episodes, between Christ and the Pharisees about this very thing. You can write these down. We won't go there. But in Matthew chapter 12, we'll look at that. Mark 3, Luke 6, and Luke 14 are others. Matthew 12, Mark 3, Luke 6, and Luke 14 uh, there are other instances through the Gospels where Christ and the Pharisees interact over the purpose of the Sabbath and Christ's power, His authority, His right to, in the Jews' perspective, to break the Sabbath. But here's two. In Matthew chapter 12, 
At that time, Jesus, I'm reading in verses 1 to 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. They're harvesting, and they're preparing food. Verse 3, Christ said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? For he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, the bread that was there in the holy place within the tabernacle which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or, verse 5, Have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, the priests in the temple, profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? The priests in the temple are working on the Sabbath. Verse 6, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the, Verse 8, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And he asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he healed the man. And the Pharisees went out conspiring against him how to destroy him. In Luke 14, we read, On one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully, and behold, there was a man before him who had a disease, dropsy. And then Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he, Christ, said to them, the Pharisees, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So Christ has elevated the purpose of the Sabbath and challenged them with this. He's challenged the Pharisees that the Sabbath was a, as a rule, a law instituted for them as a layer of their worship, absolutely. But rather than getting stuck on the formality and the mechanics of it, Christ is trying to teach through that to say there is a purpose. The purpose of the Sabbath is to remember the redemptive work of God. And he's demonstrating his power to do that through the physical healing that we, that we read about through these Gospels. So back to John chapter 5, verses the rest of the chapter from 19 to 47, the end of the chapter, um, Christ presents the case that he can't violate the Sabbath since he is, because of who he is and what he's there to do, are the reasons the Sabbath exists. And he does this by, first of all, explaining who he is, discussing the eternal impact of that reality, and that's what we'll focus today. But then in the rest of the chapter, from about 31 to the end, Christ then identifies the formal witnesses to his authority and power to do that. So we'll focus now on the explanation of who Christ is and anchoring on the authority, the right that Christ has to do these things on the Sabbath in teaching the Jews not just to honor the Sabbath as a thing, as a law, but to go beyond that, to remember the Sabbath is a tool to be used for a purpose. And that is to remember, to reflect on, to rejoice in the redemptive work of God. So the explanation, who Christ is. Christ is equal to the Father. And this is one of the two things the Pharisees are all bent out of shape about. First of all, he was breaking the Sabbath. He was working on the Sabbath. But second, in his claim to be equal with God. So he, Christ explains this, who he is, he is equal to the Father. 
through this explanation, almost in an outline form in these first several verses, about the personhood of Christ. And it's it's important part of understanding the Trinity as we learn the identity. The Son is not the Father, but the complete unity. The Son is equal to the Father. So verse 18, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he is even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. It's kind of four things we see in that process. Christ reviewed the purpose of the Sabbath by saying Christ didn't violate anything. And just by mnemonics to help us remember, these things will rhyme. Christ demonstrated his personal opportunity to do something on the Sabbath, to go outside of the law, so to speak, or outside of the law as the Pharisees and the population understood it, to actually work. His work was in healing here in chapter 5. But Christ didn't violate anything. Because he is God, he had personal opportunity to do that. So reviewing the purpose of the Sabbath is how Christ then demonstrates or explains the relationship between the Father and the Son. And he does that. The phrase for that is total unity. So Christ had personal opportunity because he is Lord of the Sabbath. But his relationship to the Father is one of total unity. He continues by explaining that the delegation from the Father to the Son, the judgment, complete authority. So we see Christ had opportunity, unity, and authority. And then this section, kind of these outline points of this section, end by the redemptive works work, the redemptive effect of Christ's unity with the Father, and that is our spiritual delivery. So to help us remember this, the, how this, this section, verses 19 to 24, 19 to 23, follow through that Christ had personal opportunity. The, the Sabbath, the purpose of the Sabbath, was to reflect on and to rejoice in the redemptive work of God. That is the purpose of Christ. So he has the opportunity to do that. The Sabbath is honoring him. It's his day. He has total unity with the Father. The Father has given him complete authority. And the impact of that for us is our spiritual delivery. So remember that the purpose of the Gospel of John, we read in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, for as the Father... Ah, wrong verse. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So again, let's look at John chapter 5, in light of the effect of Christ's unity with the Father. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to those whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. He's delegated that. 
that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come to judgment, but is passed from death to life. It says at the Son, verse uh, 21, the Son gives life to those whom he will. The Son gives life to those he wishes. He wishes to give life, and he gives it to those who believe. And that is consistent with what we've, how we've seen him teach already from chapters 2, 3, and 4 so far. Those who believe. So if that's kind of the explanation, Christ explains, this is who I am. This is my identity. I'm equal with the Father. The next section of that kind of breaks that down, and Christ kind of discusses that and puts a little bit of meat on the bone, so to speak, in verses 25 to 30. Okay, what does Christ do? He exercises his equality with the Father. Christ is equal to the Father, and then he exercises that equality. The concept of the context, really, of pending judgment, the uh, word here that uses the, the um, resurrection, provides the backdrop to compare and contrast unbelief and belief. Belief and unbelief with life and death. So verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Again, discussing that full equality. And he has given him, the Father has given him, the Son, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So we see kind of this this cycle back and forth a little bit of equality, authority, and back to the equality, because Christ isn't seeking his own will. While he has the authority of judgment, of giving life, he does so in full accord and full consistency with the character and nature of the Father. So the resurrection, the pending judgment is seen in the two resurrections. The resurrection to life who did to those who did good, and the good they did was their belief. The resurrection to life for those who believe. The resurrection to judgment for those who did evil in the context of this passage. And their evil, that wrong that they did was their unbelief. So there's a resurrection to life, the redemptive work of God through Christ, which is the whole purpose of the Sabbath. This is why the Jews were trying to kill him, because of his breaking of the Sabbath and his claims of equality to the Father. And Christ is explaining, yes, you're finally getting it. You see this. This is who I am. This is what I've been working to explain all along. He said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was there, is there, to demonstrate, to reflect, and to rejoice in the redemptive work of God. I am that redemptive work. I have that authority to grant life. I have that authority. It's been delegated to me to grant judgment to those who do not believe. And so Christ has the resurrection to life for those who believe the good. The resurrection to judgment for those who do not believe the evil. And his justice is based on God's eternal purpose, which is consistent with his holy character. Christ says, what I hear, I judge. 
that my judgment is right because it is consistent with the Father. It's because I'm not doing my own will, but I'm doing the will of him who sent me. So we think, you know, today is a cliche phrase, timing is everything. But it's significant in the context of Christ's teaching here and his conversation with the Pharisees. Chapter 5, where we're at, verses 25 and 28, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Now he's referencing the demonstration, moving several chapters out, I think it's chapter 11 of the the resurrection of Lazarus, as a demonstration, a picture of, of the final judgment and the final resurrection. So he says, an hour is coming and is now here, he says in verse 25. In chapter 2, verse 4, I'm sorry, um, when Christ is at Cana in the wedding, and Mary comes to him and says that the, the wedding feast, kind of they're, they're at a standstill because they've run out of wine. And Christ challenges her in verse 4 and says, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. The time for me to demonstrate my power, to demonstrate my character, to demonstrate my equality with the Father isn't here yet. Then again in chapter 4, verse 23, when Christ was working with the Samaritan woman at the well, and he said, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He told the Samaritan woman, there's a time coming, and you're just on the verge, it's right here, because I am here, and he revealed himself as Messiah. So Christ is telling them there's a time coming when you are going to, he's telling the Pharisees, there's a time coming when you will see, but you will be judged based on belief or unbelief. And we see the comparison or the contrast between good and evil, between life and, or belief and unbelief, between life and judgment. Verse 29, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And again, in chapter 5, this is the first time this conversation may be happening out loud like this with the Pharisees, but it's not the first time Christ has taught that to the Jewish leadership. In chapter 3, when Christ was meeting with Nicodemus, verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Verse 18, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We continue to see this comparison and this contrast in his teaching. Verse 20, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So how does this section from John chapter 3 break down? Salvation is through the Son. Belief delivers from judgment, that redemptive work. Doing evil is the equivalent, equates to hating the light, and that is unbelief. Doing evil is hating the light, and that is unbelief. Practicing truth is coming to the light, and that is belief. So Christ has taught this to the Jews already through Nicodemus at night in chapter 3. He's rehearsing this to them again here in chapter 5. And the final lesson that Christ taught here in this section of chapter 5 is kind of also a rerun. We've seen it before. 
uh, verses 23 and 24 from chapter 4 when he's speaking to the woman of Samaria. But an hour's coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So here we see that rehearsed again in chapter 5, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own, Christ speaking. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, it is right, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. See, rehearsing the core concept of this passage, Christ's equality with God, his unity with the Father, what Christ hears, he judges. His judgment is just, since it is equal to the Father's judgment. See, the Jews respected the Father's judgment. The Jews, the Pharisees, revered God the Father's judgment. But they were rejecting Christ. So Christ is saying, what I hear, I judge. It's been delegated to me from the Father. What I'm, my judgment is true, it is right, it is just, it is correct, because it is the same as the Father's judgment. And the Father's judgment is based on the eternal truth of His holy character, which is what He was explaining to the Samaritan woman in chapter 4 about worship, true worship. Isn't things, it isn't routine, it isn't structure. Those tools are there to help in worship, yes. But is that heart attitude, that heart connection between the individual and the Father through Christ's redemptive work. So here when Christ says, I am equal to God, and here's how we see that, what I hear I judge, what I judge is just because it's equal to the Father. It is the same as the Father's judgment, and the Father's judgment is based on His eternal, holy character, that which is true and right. So here in John chapter 5, verses 19 to 30 is what we've reviewed today. We've seen Christ present the case that He can't violate the Sabbath, since who He is... And what he's here to do are the reasons the Sabbath exists. And the second giving of the law to the Jews in the wilderness in Deuteronomy 5, Moses reminds them the Sabbath is there to remind you that you were a slave in Egypt, but God delivered you from that slavery. Christ comes to say that deliverance is what I'm here to do. That's who I am is to present that deliverance. So I am Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is my day. The Sabbath is my purpose. So Christ explains that since He's who He is and what He's here to do is the reason the Sabbath exists, His explanation of equality with the Father and His discussion about that eternal reality and the impact, the truth of that, because there's a, judge, there's a resurrection to life for those who believe, but there's also a resurrection to judgment for those who do not believe. So this morning, our celebration of communion, uh, the Lord's table, is a public testimony of the believer. It's a public testimony of the church, recognizing that redemptive work of Christ, recognizing His sacrifice on our behalf. It is a demonstration of our belief in who He is and what He came to do. But we get to rejoice in and look forward to a resurrection to life because of belief. So I'm going to close in prayer. We'll be dismissed uh, to, to transition children as well as to rearrange in here and kind of break down and talk through what are the impact of this and how maybe even reflection of today, the, the communion service, the Lord's table, uh, how we can appreciate that which we claim to believe, uh, but how we can see Christ's work and power how that maybe motivates us to share with others uh, so that they may believe as well. So we'll pray and then be dismissed. Father, we're grateful for your word. 
which explains your sacrifice. So we are also grateful for your sacrifice, which we celebrated today. Uh, We would ask for your continued blessing and focus and understanding and discernment as we continue our morning and uh, discuss uh, how for us personally, how for us as families, how for us as a church body, I can understand and appreciate uh, the truths of John chapter 5, your redemptive work, and the consequences and the the, uh, blessings of belief and unbelief. Uh, We would ask that so that by the end of our time this morning, you would be glorified, and again, we would be encouraged and and instructed to live for you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.